Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning to James chapter 3. This summer we're looking at holiness again and again and from different perspectives. And one of the demonstrations of holiness is our, I want to say our ability to control our tongues. But scripture is very clear that humanly I cannot control my tongue. Now, I think, I, I can remember when, when our girls were small and there were uh, Steve, uh, Steve, uh, Steve somebody, he was a singer and, and he had these kids videos and would, and would sing with a bunch of kids out of Nashville and Steve Green maybe? And, and the kids would sing a song and they would hold their tongue and sing a song like this, okay? And uh, I'm afraid I can't remember it right off the top of my head. But it was about controlling your tongue and being careful what comes from your tongue. Because once you let something loose, it's loose and can't be brought back. I mean, uh, my mouth can build you up. I can make you feel twice the person you are. Or I can tear you down. I can say something of a blessing to you and it may hit you and, and, and you'll remember it for 20 minutes or I can inadvertently say something that is hard to you and you remember it the rest of your lives. Perhaps somebody came to you and said, you'll never amount to anything. And that has stuck with you and has weighed upon you and kept you from achieving. Or maybe somebody came to you and said, you'll never amount to anything and you just made you so mad you went out and in spite you did it just amounted to something just to show them but scripture makes it clear if I can control my tongue I can control the rest of me but scripture also makes it clear that I can't humanly control my tongue so that really bodes poorly for the rest of me doesn't it yeah let's turn to James chapter 3 and if you're able let's stand and uh, I'll read the word of God Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, not just so that we see it, read it, hear it, and walk away and it doesn't affect us, like the man who looks in the mirror and can't remember his reflection, but that your word would penetrate our hearts all the way to our tongues so that the things that come from our mouths would demonstrate the changed hearts that we have received in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now read verses uh, 1 through 12. 1 through 12. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. 
For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. This is just one of the many examples in Scripture that talk about the dangers of the tongue. And he starts out, let not many of you become teachers, because as teachers you have to stand up and you have to speak. And you have to speak and you, you want to speak the truth. And you want to make sure, uh, now, now, not that I'm taking pride in this, I understand those from Sunday school, but you have, your doctrine has to be right and you have to teach what is true. Heaven forbid that a teacher stand up here and teach what is false. Okay. And, and you have to speak. It's surprisingly, those, those of you who have ever spoke, how many of you have spoken before a group for more than, let's say, 30 minutes? Okay? It's exhausting. Okay? Even when you really like what you're talking about and you're jazzed, you get done. And, and, you know, I have friends who preach three or four times on a Sunday, and they're useless on Monday. Okay? They're just useless. And, and I used to think, oh, that's for weenies. But you get up and talk for a long time. It just drains you. And then, you know, men only have, what is it, we've got like 20,000 words a day, and women have 30,000 words or something and, and I use up like four days' worth of words on Sunday. So, um, you know, bodes poorly at home to talk, okay? <laughs> well, not only here, but Paul, as an example, in Romans chapter 3, zeroes in on the sins of the tongue. He says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is in their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, wouldn't it be nice... If at conversion, everything was changed. I mean, wham! You no longer had to worry that things might come out of your mouth that you didn't like. Or that you, you, you wish you could get, get, get back, just grab them and, and bring them back in. It wouldn't it be nice if at conversion, you know, the Lord comes and we're justified and we're cleansed of sin and now we're perfect. But that's not the way it is. We're common, we're changed, and we're justified in an instant. But, but the, the growth, the sanctification process, learning to control the sin that remains within us, learning to focus more upon the things of Christ and less upon the things of ourselves, this is the struggle between the spirit and the flesh that goes on throughout the rest of our lives. Now, some people we know, not a bad word comes from their mouth. Not a harmful word. And you think, man, I would like to be like them. Okay? But for some of us, you know, who, who at one point used foul language on a regular basis, let's put it that way, you have to relearn how not to say those words. Okay? So sometimes you might replace those words with other words but you're still thinking those words. So then you have to replace your thoughts because Jesus says it's a man thinking in his heart, so does he do. So you have to, to be careful about what comes out of your mouth. And, and maybe let's say we can control the words that come. Now, how about 
the attitudes that come. Because you can say a word or say a phrase and it can be taken positively or negatively depending upon the attitude which is behind it. See, all of these things are wrapped up in the control of the tongue. Control of the tongue. What would happen to us if there was no filter between here and here? Okay? Now, what would happen if you meet somebody for the first time and you're introduced and, and here's Randy Jenkins. I want to introduce you Randy Jenkins. And, and normally we say, oh, so nice to meet you. Okay? When in reality you're thinking, you wore that suit? I can't believe your wife let you out in public with that. Okay? Well, what would happen if there was no filter or if somebody comes to you and just they pour out their heart to you about something that, that they have done? And, and, you know, being good Southerners, we say, oh, bless your heart. Okay? But really, instead of saying bless your heart, out comes, well, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? See, the tongue can be very, very dangerous. If we don't have a filter on it, if we don't have the Holy Spirit working in our lives, oh, big trouble, big trouble. So let's look in in James chapter 1. Turn back a page, just to uh, James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. James is very logical uh, in, in the outline of his book, and he gives us three big areas that he wants us to work in, and, and we're only looking at, at one of those today. James chapter 1, verse 26 If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. He's he's giving us a a snapshot here in 26 and 27 of what a holy man looks like. Okay, how an individual who has been changed by Christ, what are some demonstrations of that change in his life? Verse 26, he says you control your tongue. He lays that out for us in chapter 3. In verse 27, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, visit the orphans. He takes that in chapter 2, um, visit, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And then the third section is to keep oneself unstained by the world. He covers that at the end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. So he gives us these three areas where holy living is to be demonstrated. Control of the tongue visiting and caring for those most in need, and keeping ourselves unstained by the world, while at the same time being in the world but not of the world. Okay, so page back over to chapter 3. Now, James zeroes in on the tongue here. In verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, Perfect here um, is not the usual meaning of perfect. It means mature. Okay? It means mature. It doesn't mean spotless or without sin. He's not saying that. He means that you are mature in the things of faith. Now remember what Jesus said back in Matthew 12. He said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for on the day of judgment. So think about that for a moment. Every careless word that we have ever spoken, we will have to give an accounting for. That's probably for most of us, it's going to be a lot of words. Okay? Because perhaps when we were younger in the faith or even outside of, of Christianity, or the words that came from our mouths were careless. 
the words that came from our mouths, we did not understand the effect that they have. And as we have grown in the things of Christ, or came to Christ and have grown, we begin to, to, to try to, to tame that and to try to contain that and make sure that our words are words of, of blessing and encouragement and words of truth. Okay? Jesus was teaching that our works will reveal what is in our hearts. Our works from our mouth will reveal what is in our hearts. Now, Paul says, if you've been raised in Christ, you're a new creation. He goes on in Colossians chapter 3, and he says, now put aside all these things. If you're a new creation in Christ, you have to put aside these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Slander and abusive speech. You have to put those things aside. Those are particular to what comes out of our mouths. Since you've laid aside the old self with all its evil practices and put on the new self, you're being renewed according to the true knowledge of the one who works within you. So what should come out of our mouths? Paul goes on in chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 16 and says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Okay, Encouraging one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual psalms, singing with thankfulness in our hearts. These are the things that are supposed to come out of our mouths. So let's look here in James about five ways that he teaches us, five ways that he teaches us about what is important according to the tongue. So number one, the tongue holds a key place in holy living. Its control is an example of the process of sanctification in your life. How holy are you is, is directly seen in your ability to control your tongue. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body. Anybody who's ridden a horse, I, I like horses. I don't ride them, okay? They're big. They're strong. And, and you know what? They don't always think like I do. Uh, if you walk, I, I feed where I like to feed horses and talk to them, and even sometimes with, if you're feeding them, they still have their own mind and they want to run you down because they think you've got more food hidden in some place that they haven't found yet. Uh, I'm just not sure I want to get on a horse, even though you see John Wayne and all those guys riding horses all the time. It's just this little bit in a horse's mouth, and you, can you control it? Well, that's what it says here. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they may obey us and direct their entire body, you give a little yank, I don't know if you yank it, or a tug and move your legs and the horse goes this way and the horse that way. That's one way to move. And, and the tongue is associated with that. First, the bits in the mouth and secondly, as the rudder of a ship. And I tried to find if there was some mathematical formula this week to, to, for rudders versus the size of the ship. And there are, but I, I couldn't decipher them. Okay, because <laughs> I'm, I'm theology, I'm not mathematics. But somebody can, can look that up this week and send it to me. Uh, that that there's, there's some formula about if I, if I have a 100,000-ton ship, I've got to have a rudder that's this big to move it. But remember, this was in the time when the ships were run by sail. Okay? And the rudders were just small, but they could still be directed. Really, what they're talking about here because of the bit and the rudder is a disproportionate amount of influence. Small things have a disproportionate amount of influence. The bit, the rudder, the tongue. Okay? 
So the first thing he says about a tongue in it's the key to holy living is you've got to think about your speech, what your speech says about your holiness. So number two, the tongue has an enormous amount of power for actual harm. So you cannot fail to discipline it. You cannot fail to discipline it. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. So, all the t- so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest fire, a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire in the very world of iniquity. The tongue which is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life and set on fire by hell. Now, fire and water are distinct. One match can burn down an entire state. Okay? If it doesn't rain in August, you go out and throw a match on your yard, you can burn down the whole neighborhood. If it doesn't rain in August, you can go out and throw a cup of water down in your yard, and what happens? Does it flood the whole neighborhood? No. But a fire, it just takes a little bit to spread. So he doesn't equate our tongues with water. That one cup you know, doesn't make a flood. One match sets a whole forest aflame. Okay, so he says that the damage is so disproportionate okay, uh, that, that it, can be, it can destroy you. If, if you were one of the people, as I said earlier, that, that were told you'd never amount to anything and you never did because you were told you never would. Those words have been placed into your mind. They've been placed into your hearts. And they dwell there and that, that, that affects you in all that you do. I mean, how many parents have heard their children called names or something by other children and seen the effect upon our children. Or how many of our children have come home one day and, and we'll blame it on, on hormones and things like that and looked at you as parents and said, well, I just can't stand you. You're so stupid. You don't understand. And, the, and those words as parents just cut us to the heart. Because we were that way once. We were that way once. But we have to understand how damaging the tongue can be. Now, he illustrates this. We don't get the full illustration here, but I will, in in verse 6, about how this fire and what this means. So here in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. To understand this, we're going to go back to 2 Kings chapter 23. So go back to the Old Testament, 2 Kings 23. James says it is set on fire by hell. The word there is Gehenna. The word there is Gehenna. And Gehenna is a geographic location for the valley of Hinnom, which is there beside Jerusalem. And we'll see why this is so significant here in a moment. In 2 Kings uh, 23, if you want, go back to 22, verses 1 and 2, and this will kind of set the context for us. 2 Kings chapter 22, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jediah, and the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. That's 
about the best thing that can be said of, of a king in the Old Testament. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. Now we come to chapter 23, verse 10. So what Josiah did, he was a young king and he came along and he, he got rid of the pagan practices in Israel at that time. He, he tore down the Asherah poles and one of the important things he did is he got rid of the worship of Moloch. Or Moloch okay? Chapter 23, verse 10. He also defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Molech. Now, Molech was represented in a bull, and the, the, the offering to Molech was, this was child sacrifice. So the bull was uh, uh, in the valley of Hinnom, that's where they worshipped, and, and the bull had its arms, uh, arms out like this, and there was a fire underneath. And you would bring your firstborn and place it on the altar of Molech and offer your firstborn to the fires. So this is what happened in the valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. Now, when Josiah comes along, he gets rid of all this. But the area was just just a nasty area, and over time it became the garbage dump for Jerusalem. So all of the garbage would go into Gehenna, into the valley of Hinnom. And not only the garbage, but any animal that died would be tossed into that area. Any... um, a person who didn't have a family uh, who passed away in Jerusalem would be tossed into Gehenna in the Valley of Hinnom. And the only way to get rid of all this stuff was to burn it. So there were fires that burned constantly. Now you can imagine the smell of garbage, of dead animals, of uh, dead individuals burning constantly. So there's this stench that rises up. So when we see uh, very often in scripture, Gehenna is used for the word hell. These fires that burn all the time. This stench that rises up. So when James says, this is where the tongue comes from. This is where the fire of the tongue comes from. It comes from hell. It comes from Gehenna. So we get this image of this stench, this sickening stench that comes up from Gehenna, a fitting symbol of the ever-burning fires of hell. So James is giving us this image. This is the problem with the tongue. This is where the motivation of the tongue comes from. It is set on fire by hell. Okay, back to James chapter 3. So number three... You can't control the tongue humanly. So therefore, we have to look to other places. Verses 7 and 8. You can't humanly control the tongue. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Go to SeaWorld, go to the circus, uh, all those things. We see a variety of animals that have been trained. Okay, Now, how they train them, that's, that's, that's beyond me, but... Um, you know, to get a killer whale to do those tricks for some fish is something outstanding, okay? Every species can be tamed, except for what? The tongue. The tongue, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. I mean, he just it's not just evil, but it's restless evil, and it's restless evil that's full of what? Deadly poison. He just is not very positive about anything that comes from our mouths. 
Morgan Blake is a sports writer for the Atlantic Journal, Atlanta Journal, and he writes this. He says, I am more deadly, the sports writer, okay, but he's really captured this. I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Gossip. What comes from our mouths. This is the tongue that no one can tame. Not until the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Not until we trust him. Not until he works in our lives and we work to contrain our tongue according to his power. Then we can see progress being made. Number four. The tongue reveals the inconsistencies in our spiritual lives. The tongue reveals these inconsistencies in our spiritual lives. No one can tame the tongue, restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. Now just think about that. Here you are at church, and you're singing the praises of the Lord, and, and you take the Lord's Supper, and you just thank the Lord for what he does in your life. And on the way home, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and all of a sudden, what comes out of your mouth? You stupid head. Ooh, is that what's supposed to come out of our mouths? Uh, but it does, okay? It's tough to contain. It is tough to tame. The tongue, made by God to be a blessing, can be used for both evil and for good. Now look what he says here in, in 11 and 12. Does, does a fountain, or verse 10. From the same mouth come both blessing and curse. My brethren, this ought not to be. He's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the people outside the church. He's talking to believers here. And so this is not a problem that we should assume, well, just the pagans deal with a problem of not being able to control their tongues. No, this is believers. Believers have this problem. From the same mouth comes both blessing and curse. Blessing and curse. How is that possible? What could curse mean? Curse could be go back to gossip. It could be cutting speech. It could be nagging. It could be misleading or lying speech. So you don't have to lie. Sometimes you can just mislead. You know, we call that in the political world spin, right? Well, I know he, he misspoke and meant to say this. Okay? Oh no, no, no. The tongue can be used to worship God and to malign those who are the image of God. He says, brothers, it should not be this way. The tongue is a real problem. It reveals the inconsistencies of our hearts. This is 2014. The tongue is not the only issue we have to deal with. I have in my hand, what, more computing power than sent people to the moon? Is that what it is? Okay, so there's one aspect. I have here another I know you like visual aids. The keyboard. How many of us have typed things that we shouldn't have typed? How many of us have sent emails 
that we shouldn't have sent? How many of us have posted on Facebook things we should not have posted on Facebook? I'm not on Facebook. That doesn't, so I don't know. But I've been the recipient of nasty things that were posted on Facebook. And we think, well, I'm only going to send them to my friends. I'm only going to type a few things and send it to my friends. This doesn't happen. It can't be contained. This is, in a sense, the modern tongue. When you put things out electronically, do they ever go away? Is, is, is there anything on my computer that, that I have totally erased? I think it's all there. One way or another, if somebody wants to know what I wrote three years ago, it's still there, even though I have deleted it. Okay? The Lord says you have to control your tongue. In our, in our world today, you have to control what you type. You have to control what you send out in an email. You have to be so careful because those things can never be brought back. Oh, I'm just sending it to, to a friend. It goes exponentially. Okay? It goes viral. Before you know it, the thing that you wrote to a friend has now been seen by a thousand people, ten thousand people, people you never even wanted it to, to get to. That's the damage that the modern tongue can do. Let's look at the last one, 11 and 12. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter? The answer, these are just rhetorical questions. Of course not. Of course not. Can a fig tree produce olives? Of course not. Can a vine produce figs? Of course not. Neither can salt water produce fresh. The issue here really is the hypocrisy of saying Christ is my Lord and Savior. And then I just and, and I, I want to devote my life to him and, and saying all these things and then turning around and letting salt water come out of your mouth. Saying blessing and then saying cursing. And, and we do it. It is a process that we have to work on to control what comes out of our mouths. If our hearts have been changed, if our lives are different, then our speech should reflect that. Our speech should reflect that. If only, what was the, the wise old owl? The, the less... He spoke, the more he heard, the more he heard, the less he spoke, or something like that. If we could measure our words, but, you know, the world acts so quickly, and we're in a, a group, and there's a lot of discussion, and sometimes we don't always have a, a moment to think about what we're going to say, and, and sometimes words slip out, or we get frustrated and, and angry, and, and, you know, we've had it just up to here all week, and we've been running and running and running, and something just sets us off, and out comes something from our mouth, and we say, oh, no. When you've done that, you need to seek forgiveness and realize it. Because words, you know, sticks and stones, uh, words will hurt. Words will leave scars that are never seen that can last much longer than a little stick or a little stone. And the Lord says, a reflection of my work within you is what comes from your mouth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are, these are tough passages. 
because they're, they're raised right up in our face because we all have a problem. We all have a tongue. We all deal with this on a regular basis. Do I engage my brain before my mouth? Do I engage my faith before I engage my mouth? Do I think about what my words will mean before I say them, before I type them, before I hit that send button? Have I examined them and say, are these things going to edify? Are they going to move someone to a, a clearer understanding of Christ? Are these words the truth? Are they necessary? Lord, our mouths can be such vessels for your glory. We know of of those who can sing, and and we just hear these great words and tunes, and you have blessed so many with that. But, Lord, there are so many of us whose whose mouths, as Paul said, can be deadly poison. Focus our attention on what we say. And even go back further, Lord, the status of our hearts. Because it's from the heart that those things come. Help us today to examine us, our hearts. In fact, Lord, force us today to examine our hearts. That our heart would be bare before us and before you. We would know the evil that dwells there. We will, we'd know what needs to be, fe- to be confessed before you. That we might be cleansed of these things that both salt and fresh water would not come from our mouths, but only the things of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.